and welcome to the different Doctor Same Old Shit podcast. Each week we're going to watch a story based on Doctor Order and dissect it. I'm Mo from France, and to my west, it's the ever-delicious Doctor L. Hey, do, Doc. Very well. Um, because we have these two projects going on, obviously I, um, I have to concentrate to, to keep my, 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 my human side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm... I'm not as loquescent as I am when 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 we're discussing the other topic. No, we will, we don't like to scare the Who fans. We 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 feel they're a bit more fragile than Slayer fans, don't we? Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, who's to say? In any case, yeah, uh, here I am, uh, Doctor Loquescence, aka Doctor L, for the purposes mm-hmm. of the project. Mm-hmm. Um, what have you been up to, Mum? I tell you what I've done today, Doc. I've been out picking magic mushrooms. It's been absolutely splendid. I have, yeah, it's been absolutely splendid. Yeah, me, me, me and my good mate, um, we'll call him the Juzzler for, for, for reasons of anonymity. <laughs> God, <laughs> um, that's revolting. I know, but, but that is really his nickname. Um, <laughs> um, I've discovered a prime source of uh, our, our psilocybin-laced um, champignon friends. It's absolutely wonderful. Many people who have a, I find, many people who have a predisposition to psychedelics mm-hmm. favour mushrooms above all others. Yes. Um, would you care to comment on that statement, including its veracity and, and, and possibly why? Well, I think it's a purer trip. Um, I've certainly found kind of a, you know, the exploration of my own sense of self and ego to be most profound on mushrooms it's not the most potent of psychedelics um you know you, you you're looking to stuff like dmt and salvia divinorum for that um and that shit really is the, the, the that's the business you know you, you kind of get to that end of the scale but but you know the, the, the obvious comparison with mushrooms is obviously um lsd um and lsd you know because I think because it is artificial and a chemical, um, an artificial chemical, it does have the unfortunate tendency to give you kind of a kind of a nasty come down in a way, uh, in, in in a way that mushrooms just do not. Um, you know, I, I, you know, on mushrooms, I've met Mother Earth on mushrooms. Um, I've never met Mother Earth on LSD. That you know, um, it, 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 profound things happen. When you take uh, les champignons de magique, no doubt. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, absolutely wonderful. So yeah, th- th- that's been my afternoon. It- it- it's been absolutely fantastic. The-, the thing is, we didn't actually go out to to find them. We went out foraging for other stuff. You know, my my, my good mate, the juzzler. Um, um, <laughs> he's an excellent, excellent cook and. He likes to forage for stuff, you know, like everyday kind of shrubs and herbs that just grow in hedgerows, just in the wilderness. And so he sure. goes and, and he, you know, he goes and picks them and, and, and puts them in in his meals and, and they're absolutely delicious. And we just chanced upon, um, our, you know, our good friends and, and we were we were most delighted. What an excellent result. Thank you, sir. I, I appreciate it. Yeah. It's been go out looking for common, go out looking for common nuts and berries and... and, and, and find a crop of liberty caps absolutely correct it's been wonderful what a joyous joyous moment it was um 
no corrections today, Doc, because we, you know, we, we haven't bothered doing the editing, have we? So no corrections. Should we get straight into it? Yeah, I think we should. Welcome to part one of the of the show, which we call TARDIS Talk. It's topic of the week. Um, give me a number, Doc, between one and ten, please, sir. Nine. Number nine. Okay, let me have a look. Oh, let's see what we make of this. In your opinion, what is the perfect number of TARDIS team members? What do you think about that? You know, given the con- it's a great question given the context of today's episode, I suppose. Yeah, um, it's a very tough one mm-hmm. um, because my favourite my favourite teams, yeah, um, multiple um, have included one and two and three companions. Um, so the my favourite ever um, might be the Ian Barber and Vicky. Mm-hmm. Um, Triptych. Sure. I really, really love the way those three characters work together. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, Three Companions never quite works as well ever again. Um, I don't think the Ben and Polly and Jamie triptych is together for long enough to to, to really get a vibe on, on, on how they work together. And um, there's, there's, an, there's an unresolved issue when they break up, which is they never figure out how to um, how to not make Jamie look a bit like a a, a, a fourth wheel? Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so obviously Ben and Polly get to do stuff together, and the Doctor and Jamie then get paired off with each other. But then, if you've got two performers as charismatic as Fraser Hines and Patrick Troughton, then they're obviously all you want to pay attention to. So um, Anna Quills and Michael Craze, who are slightly less charismatic, they're fine, but they're just they don't catch fire the way that Patrick Troughton and, and, and Fraser Hines do when, when, when they're on screen together. Sure. Uh, and so they, and, and, and they end up losing out. And I think writers try to compensate by giving them more material, but you, you just, you, you really want to be watching the doctor and Jamie. You, you, for those few stories, you just want to be watching the doctor and Jamie being funny together and doing stuff because they, they, they work so well. I suppose it's a bit like, I'm thinking of another kind of three companion uh, team up, which would be um, Nissa, Tegan, and Turlow, and it, and it's the same problem there, isn't it? Really, that you know, the whole time you're just thinking, you know, just put Turlow on screen. That that that's all we want to see. Yeah, basically. Um, I mean, um, if that's the way you swing, and even if you don't, um, then fundamentally you just want to watch that Doctor Turlow frenemy, love, hate. Um, I was going to say borderline queer. There's nothing borderline queer about it. It's a very, very, very gay dynamic when those sure. two are on screen. Sure. Um, and, yeah, I mean, obviously, and we've mentioned this before and we'll mention it again and again and again. If you're a writer, when you've got a character like Turlo to write for, um, why would you even bother, like, giving this sort of um anything to do at all and i think it sticks out a mile i mm. think because i mean you you get that um either 
Mr. Ortegan get routinely marginalized um, because they're just not all they're, they're just not compelling characters to write for at mm -hmm. the best of times um, and particularly not when you could be writing for the Doctor and Turlo instead. Absolutely correct. Yeah, it, it, it's funny. It, it, I hadn't really. I wrote the question, but I hadn't really thought the answer through. I'm kind of struggling to think of two companion partnerships. Uh, help me out, Jamie, Jamie and Zoe. Jamie and Zoe. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so we've got we've, we've got one in the Trouton era, and any others? Well, Jamie and Victoria. Yeah, and it is primarily Trouton, isn't it? Where where, where, you, where you just can't kind of get the the two companions. Sarah and Harry. Sarah and Harry, well done, Doc. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh huh. Um, Adric and Romana. Go on. Oh yes, of course. Uh, season eighteen. Yeah. Uh, Leela and K nine. Oh, 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 so do you count K nine as a companion? Uh, I don't think. Uh, I mean, he's he travels with the Doctor. He takes part in the Doctor's adventures. Mm -hmm. um, he has witty lines written for him by Douglas. I, 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 I don't see how you can't. Sure, no, 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 that's fair enough. Uh -huh. um, then, I mean, for for that, yeah, then there's probably something I don't really want to remember that that, that might happen after that. Um, no, I don't think there is. I think that's it. I don't think there is. I did, but it, it, it's trickier, isn't it? Like you know, just the two companions. Um, oh, Vicky and Stephen. Mm -hmm. um, Dodo and Stephen. Um, I'm sorry to keep pissing all over your assertion here, but it turns out there are quite a few of them. No, there are quite a few, but but the reason I don't think of them, I suppose, is because the majority of them are from, you know, like the old black and white days, and and, and that's the period yeah. that I'm least familiar with. Um, I, I mean, can can we have Joe and the Brigadier? Does that count? The Brigadier. I mean, the Brigadier. That does it count? Did the Brigadier ever travel in the Tardis? Um, only in the three doctors. Three doctors. Th 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 that was the one that was in the back of my mind. Yeah, and then that's even not certain because the TARDIS isn't under its own power. Sure. Yeah. I. I. I, mm, I like where your head's at, but I, no, I, 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 I can't accept the Brigadier as a companion. Um, well, then Liz Shaw never travelled in the TARDIS either. What? <laughs> what? <laughs> no, but, no, but you're quite right. No, no, that, that, that is true. Yeah, that, yeah you're right. Um, so, you know, you've you, you reeled off a bunch there. Can you nail it down for me, Doc? You know, what's your preference here? One, two, or three? So, there's that one three person team that works really, really well. And I don't think the formula ever hits the same magic ever again. Mm -hmm. um, once again, um, Jamie and Zoe are two of my favourite pairings ever. Uh, I, I I really, really like the way those two that those those two characters interact with them. Um, there's something about them that makes them really hard to screw up for even the most disinterested writer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and just the way that Wendy Padbury and Fraser, ha uh, Fraser Hines interact with each other is fun. I, I just get the impression that Fraser Hines must have be, been one of the most affable, easy to get along with actors um, in the history of the business. Because mm -hmm. there's, um, like, throughout all of his time on Doctor Who, that there's, there's, there's no one who doesn't work well with Jamie. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, I like it. So is that the one that you would kind of pin your flag to? Yeah, I mean that's 
that's my favourite TARDIS crew. Um, and it's just where all the chemistry and all the personalities work best and where everyone consistently gets enough to do. Um, that said, I'm going to have to say the Doctor and One Companion thing is the one that works best for me. Mm-hmm. Um, once again, not because it's the formula, but because it, for, completely, for a set of completely different reasons all the time, the Doctor and Liz, the Doctor and Joe, the Doctor and Sarah, the Doctor and Leela, the Doctor and Romana, um, it's just an endless string of great pairings, and it's yeah. nothing to do with the formula, it's to do with the personalities involved and the performers involved, and the writers who can get a, hang, a handle on who these characters are. And also, I think I like it best because reducing one regular um, gives you the chance for at least one more guest character. Yes. And as I... Not that I'm remotely mature. As I mature in my appreciation of Doctor Who, um, it's the guest characters and the guest performers that I become more and more interested in. Mm. Mm. Um, so if, if I were advised, if a newly minted producer would be so foolish and crass as to ask my advice, like which, which thing works best, I would definitely say, start with the Doctor and One Companion. Um, cause that, that seems to be the hardest to make a mess of. Well, I think it, that just comes down to variables, doesn't it? You know, that if you've only got two actors there is less chance of of something going wrong, like a poor dynamic. Much less. Uh, I mean, it's. Um, I suppose you and I would think of it in terms of um, when you're putting a band together, how many members do you aim for? And as you know, I've consistently aimed for three. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Because two people just... You, you can theoretically have a sequencer or, 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 or a drum machine, but two people just looks a bit lonely on stage and frankly makes it look like, like, like you've got no mates. Sure. Um, three is an, you know, it's, it's, it's a triangular base. It's a nice solid shape, like a camera tripod. It doesn't wobble or fall over. And, um, and, and it's enough, it's enough pe- people to make a, a big old racket, isn't it? It's enough people to make a big old racket. Um, it's enough, it's the minimum number of people you can have for an actual working democracy. Yeah. Um, fewer than that. And you just turn into two people arguing with each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then more than three. And if you're only full-time amateur, it just becomes increasingly difficult to get everyone together for practice right? and all of that other stuff. And, you know, it becomes more difficult to get people in the car. Mm-hmm. It becomes more difficult to, uh, <laughs> to, to divvy up the, uh, the very, very slender profits that you make at the end of the evening. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So uh, there's, there does appear to be um, a magic number um, involved in this. I don't think it takes much work to make two companions work. And if you can make it work, then it gives a lot of flexibility to writers because effectively you can you can spin your story off in, in two directions um, where the two companions can take care of each other um, and the Doctor can go off and make friends and find out what's going on. Yes. Or a, a, a companion can go missing and then you can have a one-on-one pair. There's... When you've got three people, um, you've got three pairings mm-hmm. you can work with, as opposed to when you've got two people, you've only got one pairing. Sure. And unless your performers are very, very, very strong, or your writing is very, very, very strong consistently, it, it's it makes life a bit too easy for writers who don't demand too much of themselves. 
I think we we identified in the Arkin space. Um, I can't I, I can't remember which one of us was talking about this, but you know, just that dynamic of, of splitting Sarah off, and you still got the Doctor and Harry together, and just how how much tension Robert Holmes was able to produce from ju just from that separation sequence, basically. Definitely. Uh -huh. um, and you know, I mean, it, you're still kind of a Hartnell era neophyte. Pretty um, much, but um, even when the TARDIS crew is kind of encumbered with Susan, who is, uh, as we've discussed previously, a character that nobody seems to be able to quite make up their mind what to do with, mm -hmm. uh, then you have the you you consistently get the lovely Ian and Barbara preparing, mm -hmm. um, and then you get the you get the Doctor who is basically able to take Susan under his wing um, and protect Caroline Ford from the worst of the lines. Mm. <laughs> because uh, when you've got three companions, there's also one of them who always gets the worst of the lines. And poor Caroline Ford, it's always her. Okay, yeah, yeah. I, I, I tend to agree, agree with you, Doc. You know, the, for, for me, it's the one. It's, you know, the Doctor and one. Um, and, and you've already reeled off the reason why. You know, you, you kind of bounce from Liz to Joe, to Sarah Jane, to Leela, to Romana 1, to Romana 2, and it is just hit after hit after hit, isn't it? It's yes. absolutely splendid. And of course, you know, you know my love of, of, of Lala Ward and season 17, you know, to, to me, it's, it, it, you know, it's a no-brainer, Doc. It's a no-brainer. Well, it, and this, this is particularly pertinent in the light of tonight's episode, mm -hmm. that, all people, that, that all people, when, when, you're, when you're a small boy, they're all people you'd like to be friends with yeah. for completely reasons. Mm -hmm. um, none of them are remotely similar characters, um, but uh, they're, they're all people you want to hang around with. They sure. really are. Mm -hmm. And um, it's when you're that age, it also doesn't leave you with any divided loyalties. Mm -hmm. Sure. Yeah, you, you've got no favourites, basically. That's right. Yeah, yeah, you don't have to choose. Doc, I think we agree. How about that? Um, guys, don't forget, you can contact us uh, by email at differentdocsos at gmail.com um, or on Twitter at sosdifferent. Let's get into the episode. Jenkins? Watch yeah. for the wings there. Five rounds rapid. Welcome to part two of the show, Five Rounds Rapid. Here, me and the Doc just throw out two or three ideas and talk about it. Tonight's story, of course, is The Ghost Monument, uh, Jodie Whittaker's second story, written by Chris Chibnall, directed by Mark Tonderai. Are, are you familiar with this gentleman, Doc? I'm not, no. Uh, what do we know him for? Well, I tell you what, it, it, it is quite the coup for Doctor Who to get this particular individual. A bit of a cult legend, really. Um, he, di he directed an absolutely brilliant abduction horror movie called Hush. Oh, yes, police. I just saw a woman locked up, caged in the back of a truck. 
Well? Well, well, they said they'll sort it. Well, how? They said we shouldn't get involved. It isn't our problem anymore. Your priorities are all messed up. I think in 2010, 2011, something like that, it's absolutely sensational. Any, anybody that's not watched it, I'd really, really recommend it. Um, he also did House at the End of the Street, which was the uh, Jennifer Lawrence vehicle. Hey, do you need a ride? No, I'm fine. This is my driveway. No, it's not. You just moved in on Sycamore Lane. I live next door. You're Ryan Jacobson. Yeah. Your parents got killed. I'm sorry. I know that people were talking about it. It's okay. It's all anybody can think around me anyways. You know that house is the reason why we can even afford to rent this house? What exactly happened again? The daughter of Carrie Ann. Killed both your parents. And what happened to Carrie Ann? She drowned in the dam. But the rumor is. Which I think was her first kind of big movie after. Was it The Devil's Backbone, Doc? Was that, was, was that her kind of breakout role that she won the Oscar for? Way down in Missouri where I heard this melody. The old folks were humming, the banjos were strumming, so sweet and low. Mike Satterfield, A1 Bonds. What is it you want? We hold the bond on Jessup Dolly. He didn't show for court. That ain't no run. Jessup signed over everything. If he doesn't show a trial, see, the way the deal works is, Y'all gonna lose his house here. Got some place to go? I'll find him. Girl, I've been looking. I said I'll find him. Yeah. Um, yeah. So um, the house at the end of the street obviously intended to recall the last house on the left. Marie and her friend. I feel like a woman for the first time in my life. Two girls from the suburbs going to the city to have a good time. Oh, uh, this is my roommate, Sam. Hi, girls. This is my sister, uh, Martha. Uh, Martha, these girls, uh, you know, want to buy some grass. Four killers on the loose. Also looking for a good time. And the road leads to They meet in the last house on the left. What began as a birthday party ends as a nightmare. I want to give you something. I don't want that. It's worth a lot. Uh -huh. uh, any thematic similarities? I mean, not really. Um, House at the, I did see it at the cinema at the time. House at the end of the street. She's, she plays like a, quite a young, naive woman um, who has some kind of autistic brother. And he kind of, if I remember correctly, they, they kind of keep him in the basement. And then one day he escapes and all manner of kind of escapades ensue. But it's, it, it's pretty good. Yeah, Mark Tonderoy, quite the director. Um, music here by uh, Sagan 
Akinola, forgive the pronunciation. Um, main cast, obviously, you know, we, 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 we've got our big hitters. And then the, the guest cast, Susan Lynch plays Angstrom. Um, Sean Dooley plays Epso. And Art Malik plays Ilin. Um, go on the dock. Kick us off. Also a bit of a coup. Old, uh, old Art Malik. Yeah, sure. He's not, he's, he's not a nobody now, is he? No, not at all. You're quite right. Um, right. So, a brief odyssey um, through my, my, my personal self-reinvention. Um, at the end of the last episode, uh, very much like the Doctor at the end of Resurrection of the Daleks, I decided that this had gone on long enough and I must change my ways. Mm. And I, I, I've, I've got to find a way just to stop hating on this stuff. You seem you, you seemed almost despondent at the end of the last episode, Doc. Where you you know either you find a path to progress or you abandon the project. Um, it's not abandoning the project is not a question. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, I, I've I don't have a history of failing in things that I truly motivate myself to do. Mm. I know some people might find it amusing, but I just imagine it will be ineffably boring. Um, for our listenership to listen to me just hating on things week after week after week. Of course. Everything um, in moderation, basically. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, I'm aware of the fact that I am craving people's indulgence listening to me at all, and I have to treat people better than that. So if for no other reason, a, a, cha- a, a journey of personal self-challenge and personal self-discovery, um, and I'm not saying I'm going to grip my teeth and I'm going to find a way to like this, but I... Maybe I need to look a bit beyond what I've been looking for at the moment. Mm-hmm. So, so my point can, number one is... Sorry, Doc, can, can you clarify what, what, what you think you've been looking for? A television that I enjoy. <laughs> Blunt uh, to the point, yeah. Mm-hmm. Simple as that. Mm-hmm. Um, I never set out to hate this because it's modern Doctor Who or because of this or because of that. I've done a very, very good job over the last 16 years of keeping away from fan rumours, away from fan opinions. Um, Fundamentally, if a well-known thing, concerning this new series, if it isn't a thing that's well-known to have been in a regular newspaper, um, then I don't know about it. So stuff like the Daleks coming back, I knew about. Mm -hmm. Um, Things like David Tennant being cast, of course, I knew about. Um, things such as uh, Matt Smith being cast, I learned about this. Um, and the way in which I... Forgive me if I've told this story before, but I, I, I need to tell it again because... It bears repeating. I, I, th- I think you might have mentioned this before, but it, but it does bear repeating just, just by nature of the oddity of it. Well, the last time I'd come across... When I grew up, Doctor Who was populist and popular. By the time Doctor Who went away in 1989, it was neither. Mm-hmm. Um, when Doctor Who finished at the end of the Sylvester McCoy, the Bleak Stroke, Andrew Cartmel run, no one cared. And um, I think people's strongest reaction uh, was, um, I certainly felt like a beloved relative and you'd finally been given permission by the court to switch off their life support machine. Sure. Uh-huh. Yeah. Because um, that witnessing that long, slow death wasn't fun. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> um in retrospect, I am doing quite well in finding new things to look at in that, which gives me hope for the future. Um, so I knew that Doctor Who had come back in the year 2005, 
and I had gathered it had become far more successful than anyone, including me, um, had ever thought it would be. And I was delighted to learn that it now appeared to be the centrepiece of a rejuvenated set mm. of programmes in the BBC Saturday night schedules. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't particularly ever have any personal interest in watching Strictly Come Dancing, but it did my heart a lot of good to know that the BBC appeared to have hit on a light ends format um, that as meant that as, as broad a range of people as possible could watch and enjoy. And I was delighted to learn that the BBC appeared to have regained their grip on what could be mainstream and entertaining and good at the same time. So all good news to me. Um, and that was when I determined that at some point in the future, I actually was going to catch up on this new generation of Doctor Who. Um, and this is, and this project is is, is me doing that. Um, I didn't realise how culturally massive Doctor Who had become um, until I was in the airport very shortly after New Year's Day, maybe even on New Year's Day, I can't remember, or, or maybe on January the 2nd, waiting to leave the country. Um, I had some time to kill, and as is my want, um, I dropped the 10-quid entrance fee for the executive lounge bar um, where you can smoke, and I went in there, ordered myself a drink, grabbed myself a perch, and um, predisposed myself to kill the 40 minutes until my gate opened and I could get on the plane. Mm -hmm. Um, As is their want, they had a television that was showing some sort of satellite broadcasting um, which I, I suppose is both entertaining and informative for people about to go on aeroplanes. And it was the schedule that they, they had a separate schedule terminal at Birmingham Airport in those days. So most of those people would be business travellers. And I suppose they wanted to have a chance to look at share prices, learn about international news, business traveller related stuff. Sure. So that was there. And suddenly it, it wasn't quite a war has started news flash, but there was a kind of mock um news flash so the, we interrupt this program for some very important news yeah. and uh, what could it be that had broken in on this i assumed regularly scheduled program that was something about um stock prices in new york at the time you know it must be a pretty big deal and it was to announce that matt smith had been chosen as the new doctor who right <laughs> and and the relevance to the the stock market would be well um, absolutely nothing except that I I think it was just a measure of what cultural prominence. In other words, business travellers and people who traded stocks and shares and people who took aeroplanes by themselves midweek cared about who the new Doctor Who was going to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was when I thought to myself, wow, this stupid little programme that, that we used to watch is a genuinely big deal. Yeah. It's a genuinely yeah. big thing. Um, so that was all I knew about it. So I, I, I can promise everyone, I didn't come into this project with 16 years of fan prejudice. I, I don't even know what Doctor Who fandom is like now. Mm-hmm. It was a... I've met some of the best people in my life through Doctor Who fandom, and I've encountered some of the worst people. Mm-hmm. Um. I didn't miss it when I left because I took my my friends, the actual people I cared for, they came with me and we did other stuff. Um, Some of which involved continuing to be Doctor Who fans and some of which didn't. Um, But I 
definitely was not engaged with any aspect of Doctor Who fandom at the time. And I, I still don't even know what that world is like. And I'm very, very happy not knowing what that world is like. Um, those people can have that. And I, I don't mean this in a sneering way. Those people can have that and they're welcome to it. Yeah, well, they they're all, all, all very toxic from, 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 you know, from, from the occasional time I've kind of, you know, kind of dipped my toe in. Yeah, I mean, um, I don't have any evidence, I don't know, and I'm just really, really happy. Um, if those people are happy, I'm really happy for them to have it to themselves. Mm. They don't need me, I don't need them, we can get along just fine without each other. Yes, we can coexist. Those people who've been listening to this and following the last several months, um, I loved season one of the new series, I loved what I've seen of season one of the new series, very much liked what I saw of season three, uh, well, yeah, season two. Season and two, so, yeah. Um, the entrance of um, David Tennant. Mm -hmm. And then by the time Matt Smith gets involved, the whole thing has taken a, a leap off a cliff. Yeah. And I really, really stop enjoying it. Mm -hmm. um, does that answer your question? It, it, it really does, Doc, yeah. It, 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 yeah, it absolutely does. Um, so... <clears throat> It, it, it seems like you've had some kind of epiphany th th that you're going to approach, you know, the the modern stuff with with, with a different mind. Uh, can you go into details there, Doc? Yeah. Um, well, I don't feel... I don't in, in any way feel obligated to the television programme. I don't feel I owe a fucking thing to a television programme. Mm. Besides, as we've discussed before, one, one that seems to be getting on just fine by itself without my support. I don't think that... <clears throat> any aspect of Doctor Who is dependent on whether or not I like it. I'm, mm -hmm. like, even I'm not that egotistical or solipsistic. But on the other hand, people who are listening to this thing and who are sticking with us, they deserve a bit better than me just pissing and moaning it. So um, very largely for the sake of those people, um, I, you people, I love you and I want to do better for you. Mm -hmm. um, I, I want to try harder. And um, if there's... I need to get to the bottom of what it is about this stuff um, that so consistently winds me up. So, um, is the the sort of the 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 martial arts proverb about um, when you feel anger, when someone makes you angry, it's because they've um, basically prodded something about yourself that you hate. Mm -hmm. That's 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 why you're angry. Is that why it is? Um, I, I mean, it has. Has this new, as this latter era new series Doctor Who found a way to to, to prick me? Um, the most likely explanation, I feel, is that it's part of a popular culture that I just don't get anymore. Mm -hmm. And we've been through this many times as well. This is also not even remotely problematic for me. If it turns out that um, this stuff now belongs to the kids and a guy my age needs to leave it the hell alone and stay out of it. That's fine. I'm really easy to, I'm, I'm, I'm really happy to do that. It gives me a bit of a quandary as to how I'm going to attempt to make meaningful comment about the series going forward. I certainly haven't, I must definitely have not come to an epiphany about the new series. I'm not a born-again fan of anything with Matt Smith or Peter Cabaldi or um, Jodie Wood. Um, but 
I I may have begun to have an epiphany about myself. Oh, lovely, lovely, Doc. I, I tell you what, you, you, you've spoken beautifully and eloquently there, and, 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 I, and I certainly appreciated you kind of bearing your soul there, and I, I hope everybody listening did too. Have, have, you, have, you, have you kind of got a first point for me, Doc, that, that we can kind of latch on to? Yeah, and it's completely pursuant to that part. Um, one of the things I'm going to try to do approaching this, this material is to try to take a bit of a backseat, um, because you know more about this stuff than I do, and I'd like to hear you talk about it a bit more. Mm-hmm. So um, in order to um, effectively prepare myself for my, my, my spiritual journey, um, so this is the equivalent of me like sitting cross-legged naked in the desert baking myself and sweating and purging myself of sins and poisons um, before I take the peyote and, and, and um, go on my spirit quest. Mm-hmm. Um, who is this program? Who is this program for? I think it's. I, th- I think it's for a combination of people. I think it's for real kind of hardcore die-hard fans that, that you know that are just going to watch every, every, you know anything that appears on TV under the banner of Doctor Who. They're going to watch it, and, and I would include myself in that category. Um, yeah. there, there, there is no doubt if it comes out and it's called Doctor Who, I am going to watch it. Now, I might just watch it once and hate it and never watch it again. But regardless, I'm going to watch it. Full stop. You know, and the, you know the same is true is true of Trek. You know, both of these um, these TV shows have kind of burrowed so far under my skin um, that you know that as long as I consider it to be canon, which means it's on TV written by professional writers and directed by professional directors, I'm going to watch it. Um, and, and that's a full stop. Um, so I think that's one category. I think then um, it's aimed at an export market, um, you know, and, 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 they ma- and they make, you know, lots of efforts to um, ingratiate themselves with with the export market and why not you know it, it, it's a business that you know they're, they're there to make money uh, as much as maybe we don't like to think that about the bbc the reality is that they you know they, they have to generate some money um because perhaps the, the the license fee is not sufficient to uh generate tv of the production quality of modern who um i'm not talking about the writing or you know anything else they just the production standards um and i think today's episode is an example of that you know and later we'll be talking about like the location work. On top of that, I think they still are pitching it to a family audience, you know. So, so this would be just like casual viewers, um, you know, the, 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 or something's on TV, or, you know, and it'll keep the kids quiet. So I think they're the three kind of key audiences that they're kind of pitching at Duck. Right. Um, so these are open-ended questions that i'm asking you now because i really want to get to know the answer and i don't necessarily have any comment um a couple of things you're dead right about um the big difference between old doctor who and new doctor who is that the deregulation frenzy Mm -hmm. go on explain that doctor please Uh, well in the context of um i could spend hours talking about utilities and banking but of crucial relevance to this is that 
the BBC is now not merely allowed to make money, uh, it's expected to make money. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea that... And, uh, this is another one of these things that uh, I think has been lost to history. Um, at its birth, and for a long time after that, um, <clears throat> so th- this, this is a, a conversation I had with someone at work, and I, I said that to all intents and purposes, the BBC was a branch of the armed forces. Um, it was organized. So <clears throat> you joined the BBC the same way you signed up to join the army. You went through a period of basic training and you were then selected for your um, your occupational specialism. Um, and at certain points of merit in your career, you may or may not have been allowed to make decisions about your own life and your own job. Um, but effectively, you work for the firm. Um, everything was strictly ranked. Everything was strictly pay scaled. Um, and you were placed in a job that seemed a good fit for you by your superiors. Um, when I explained this to the person I was working with, um, and they said, uh, well, of course, the big difference is that um, the, the, uh, the BBC don't carry weapons, um, to which I replied, I was quite proud of myself, um, and I replied, um, I think a near monopoly of the, mass, uh, of the mass media is a weapon, don't you? Mm-hmm. Good. <clears throat> By the 1990s and increasingly on into the zeros and increasingly and increasingly and increasingly, um, that kind of thing doesn't exist anymore. The BBC by no means has a monopoly on anything. Um, In truth, it didn't since 1950 some odd when ITV got going, but then it did because ITV never trained anybody. Um, Anyone who worked in television in the UK there were a very small number who could afford to go adventuring abroad and study at film school. Um, but most of those people effectively did their national, did, did their national service in the BBC. Then just like people who did their national service in the air force, went on to be airline pilots at the end of their three years compulsory service, they then went to work for ITB. That was a well understood pattern. It was not resented by the, it was slightly resented by the BBC, but not greatly because one of the benefits they got from being able to charge a license fee was that they had an obligation to train people. Um, so none of that was even remotely true. Um, by the turn of the mil- <laughs> expression, I don't like by the turn of the millennium, the BBC was another company making media product, just the same as every other company making media product. And fast forward to the year 2010, and by then, it wasn't even a very big one. A key moment for me, Doc, and I don't know if you agree with this, is where I can't remember the exact date of this, but and correct me if I'm wrong about this, but prior to this time, when you know, when somebody was contracted to work for the BBC um, in, in like a, a predominant role, they were kind of contracted to to work for the BBC and the BBC alone and they couldn't go off and work for ITV, private companies but that changed like 10 or 15 years ago and to me that was a real kind of, a a real turning point, what do you think about that Doc? Um, Right, so there were always, for instance even since we're talking about Doctor Who there were staff writers and there were contract writers, Um, for instance Deadly Deadly Simpson was never a member of BBC staff he was always a freelance composer. Right. And he tendered for a job, so he put in the price, and he very often got the job, 
and then out of the money that he pay, that, that, that he was paid, he then hired his own musicians. Um, I assume he was allowed to use BBC facilities for recording, which presumably he, he had to pay for. But he was an external contractor. Yeah, freelancer. Yeah. Um, directors were only ever BBC people. And what, and what, what about the talent, you know, on screen? Um, I never heard of the BBC, I never heard of the BBC contracting talent. Ah, I did, I, maybe that's just a false memory that I've got. Uh, I mean, the, I don't think the BBC could have promised anyone a living wage from one year's end to the next. Mm, mm. The second point is that the, the actors union was modestly powerful and I don't think they would have tolerated it. But, it, you know, I'm thinking like if you're Adam Woodyatt, for example, and you're playing yeah. Ian Beale on EastEnders, he couldn't then kind of piss off to ITV and, and do an episode of Benidorm, could he? Um, no, so I mean, if it's a very long-running thing like that, you might sign a one-year or two-year or three-year. Um, let's say when Philip Maddock appears in *The Power of Crawl*, mm. um, he signs a contract for four weeks' work. Crawl, 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 crawl. Crawl, yeah, um, <laughs> mate. Um, when you drop your mushrooms, <laughs> I need you to watch the crawl dance. <laughs> I promise I will. I promise I'll. I'm going to watch I'm, episode three, which is where the chant takes place. No, it is at the end of episode one. Oh, one? Oh, is it? Go on. It's, it, it's at the end of... Um, I need you to sit through all 32 years of the crawl dance. <laughs> um, in fact, now we have digital media. Can you make a loop of it? Can you make a three-hour loop of the crawl dance? <laughs> Absolutely. Sorry, Doc. I interrupted. I was being silly. Mate, um... Any excuse you can find to bring up the crawl dance. <laughs> um, it's one of the most beguiling, hypnotic pieces of television you've ever seen. <laughs> um, and since the dubbing of the word crawl bears no relation to the rhythm of the dance in question, right. I imagine um, I imagine if you watched it under the influence of mind-altering substances, the, the effect is really, really bizarre. <laughs> Um, I mean, I, I need you to do this because I need to know if you've understood the wisdom of the Swampies. Sure, exactly. I may be able to report back the 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 the, the, the true message that they were trying to convey. Yeah, the, the, the ancient spiritual That's wisdom. Right. <laughs> um, but um, enough fun. We promised serious. We did, and, and, and I can't help but note that we, we, we're now kind of... How far into the episode? Maybe 40 minutes in? And we haven't mentioned the fucking story that we're meant to be kind of, re in quotes, reviewing. Um, yeah, but we're into some good stuff. We are. So um, my assumption is that when any, when anyone signs a contract with any employer, um, not always, but the terms of the contract will very often say, you can't fuck off and moonlight while you're working for me. Sure. Um, I expect your bosses would be a little bit upset if you started doing side jobs for other people using their van. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so typically an advert will go out for a job. There'll be auditions. Whoever gets hired, um, the BBC's very large accounting and contract negotiation department will do contract negotiation with their agent. Likely that will come down to the equity approved rate for new actor for walk-ons extras new actors junior actors character actors and leading actors mm -hmm. which are 
that those last three are what the UK has instead of the A-list, B-list and C-list. Um, and those are almost always flat rates. And everyone knows the BBC don't pay very well, but, and this is a huge deal for working actors, the BBC don't pay well, but they pay on time. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, and that is a massive deal. Sure. For people who need to pay the fucking rent and stuff like this. Mm -hmm. Um and my understanding is, so Adam Woodyet, I imagine, would have started with a one, a six-month or a one-year contract in the first year of EastEnders, since he's clearly not going anywhere and the BBC don't want him to go anywhere. I imagine his contracts are between two and five years in length now. Mm -hmm. um, does that answer your question? It certainly does. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Very, very good. Um, have we actually made a point yet in, in five rounds rapid? What do we think? Well, uh, my... The point I really want, and the only point I really wanted to make, the only point I really wanted to make in this episode is to sort of um, introduce introduce my own inner psychedelic journey that I'm 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 mm. about to embark on. Mm. And then uh, my point number two, I suppose, was to ask you that question. Basically, and this this is this is to help me with my understanding. Who is who is this for? Sure. Um, so my third one, and I was trying to get all elevated earlier on, but it's a real brass tacks question did you like this episode i really liked it doc right i really liked it so, so you you might as well kind of reveal your your take at this point uh, because I, I must be honest based on what you've said you know you, you you know you try and be positive you know you're trying to find ways to approach it but but, but there seems like a hesitancy in your voice I'm, I'm i'm getting the vibe that maybe you didn't enjoy it but you but you really really tried um I'm trying to allow the program to do its thing to me at the moment. Sure. Maybe it's a problem with expectations. Mm -hmm. um, um, I feel like I'm some sort of macho Argentinian guy who's got into a bar fight and, you know, like someone's just pulled a switchblade on me and mm -hmm. I've just ripped my shirt open to show my their chest and I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm the guy to stab me. Come on, come on, I dare you. I mm -hmm. double dare you, stick it in me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, how about Doc? What, I don't believe you've got the balls to use that knife. How about Doc? What, what about what, what about if I if I if I kind of hit you with some positive notes that I've made? But not 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 all of my notes are positive. It, you know, it 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 it's quite a smorgasbord of negative to positive and, and neutral. Um. So what about if I hit you with two or three kind of positive notes I've made, and and and, and you can feedback off that? That would have been my wish. Let it be so. Um, point number one, the cocky doctor. Jody being a bit cocky. I really liked it. There's a point referring to kind of piloting the crashing vessel. She's asked, think you could do better? And she simply replies, yes. Yes. Just one word. Yes. Yes, I do. She doesn't say yes, I do, but just yes. And I thought yeah, that's absolutely brilliant because because I can, you know, I could quite easily see Tom Baker responding in that way, Colin Baker responding in that way, certainly John Pertwee responding in that way. You know, the, the, so the guy's in control. I, th I think it's the guy, isn't it, that, that, that's in control at that point and, and kind of saying, you know, and she, she's been a bit critical. You think you could do better? Yes, and she just jumps straight into what presumably is the co-pilot co seat and takes the controls, Doc. I thought that was fucking great. Um, so, 
something I didn't need to fix my head about at all, um, and I think I made this abundantly clear last cycle round, um, I uh, I adored Jodie from the very beginning. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, without having any expectations at all, this was... <laughs> Ironically, it's the third time this has happened within this new series of Doctor Who. It happened with Christopher Eccleston when I first saw him being the Doctor. It happened with David Tennant as well when I first saw him being the Doctor. And I just had one of those, oh, yes, this is how it was meant to, like, yes. Sure. I'm on board now. Mm-hmm. Um, Matt Smith put my fucking teeth on edge, if yep. you remember. Mm-hmm. And Peter Capaldi prickled at me. But then I got the general. I, I got the. Uh, I think that was the point. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, c- certainly. Uh, you know, as we as we progress through the Capaldi era, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you, I think it, it will become abundantly clear that it, you know he's not meant to be the viewer's friend. Well, uh, the impression I was left with, and even more after that last episode, um, and this uh, this 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 sounds a bit Lovecraftian or or, or even a bit Metallica. I think you were right, but you went on too long with that sentence. I think he's not meant to be. I think I've got the point. There's something very, very badly wrong um, with this regenerate, or that there's there's, some, that there's something very, very badly wrong with the Doctor at mm-hmm. this point. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't need you to help me out with this at the moment. Well, no, I mean, in, inevitably, myself. my lips are sealed at this point. Yeah. Um, so that's the impression I came away with. Mm. Um, and then when I saw Jodie for the first time. Um, and it was just another one of those, oh, yes, now I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, so never had any problem with Jodie. Jodie still needs a little while to settle into her role. Um, she's pulling it off earlier than Tom Baker managed. Mm-hmm. Tom Baker took the whole entirety of Robot. He took four episodes before he nailed it completely and settled down. Yeah, you're right. Uh-huh. 
Um, so she's nailing it faster than um, the best Doctor ever, TN. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think it's possible. I, I, I don't think it's humanly possible for a director-actor combination to nail it faster than David Tennant's first appearance. Yeah, great. And, uh, and also, Eccleston, you... you, you, you you waxed lyrical about how impressed you were with that first scene between Eccleston and Rose. Yeah, um, but I, I, I think I meant that I made the point at the time. He doesn't nail it completely, and I think this was intentional. <clears throat> I think it's a damn good thing because I knew what Christopher Eccleston looked like, and I knew he was the Doctor. But I didn't realise that Christopher Eccleston was playing the Doctor. That's right. In that he he. he he makes the Doctor so genuinely alien in a scary, war-damaged ex-con veteran who you end up um, loading vans with in the load in, in, in the freezing loading bay of a factory. Um, I mean, he's 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 that kind of alien. Mm-hmm. Um, and my first thought was, oh, like maybe this is someone. Um, whose DNA the Doctor borrows to regenerate himself, or sure. um, maybe this will be a replica of the Doctor. Some kind uh, of facsimile. Yeah. Um, and I, I didn't even realise he was playing the Doctor at that moment. Yeah. Um, and, and I think that was the point, because mm-hmm. literally until he says, um, that's who I am. Yeah, yeah. Let, let, let me give you another positive, Doctor. Yeah. See, see what you make of this. Um I can see you railing against this. Uh, Venusian Aikido. Nice to see you back. Why would I rail against that? No, no thing, nothing that at all. I don't know. I don't know, Doc. I'm making <laughs> presumptions. You've scared me tonight. I'm sorry. No. Um, <laughs> nothing. Um, it's it's a non-intrusive callback. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, it's it's a non-intrusive callback. And that's it. Yeah. Oh, let me try something else. Um the remnants, the design of the remnants, is cool as fuck. Every single aspect of the production design of every minute of the story is absolutely beautiful. Yeah, isn't it wonderful? You know, um, the, you, you, the design of those creatures, it brought to mind to me, I've got to invoke Star Wars, um, because it just seemed to me like a real smash up between, I don't know, like the cows are wearing, like, almost like the Jowers in some kind of way, but then somehow a bit like Boba Fett, you know, like the you, you, uh, the mercenary character. I, I thought it was, I thought it was awesome, Doc. Right. Um, here's something I wanted to draw your attention to. Um, I don't know where this was filmed, but it's the first thing I've ever seen um, that, in my opinion, successfully does what Star Trek did, which is to allow the spirit of its location. To influence, uh, to influence its own sensibilities. One of the things I like most about Star Wars, or particularly that first film, um, is it's filmed in Tunisia, and the production team allow that mixture of Spanish and pagan North African and Islamic culture um, to enter their spirit of their production. So, and they, they do it in a much in, in a much more subtle way than just having space Arabs and space Moors and space Spaniards. They don't even draw attention to it. What they allow it to do is to seep into the water table of the thing they're making and give some roots and give some grounding. And it's, it's an almost inconsequential scene, but when 
um, Luke's hovercar thing arrives at the spaceport city. Mm-hmm. Uh, they have some little domed buildings, and they have some like civilian. They're, they're, they're only on screen for a little while, um, but in in one shot, it makes you think of the parts of um, either the very north of Africa or the very south of Spain that have bounced backwards and forwards between Spanish and Portuguese and Arab Muslim occupation um, and French occupation mm-hmm. for a really long time, and you've. Um, it's it's nothing so crass or crude as a cultural fusion. Mm. It's bits of things layered on top of each other. And this is the first production I've ever seen that has done that with any degree of success. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Yeah. I did, I did, 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 you know, I made a note of the um, you know, did the location, you know, and and just also just how it. The setting is is improved massively just by the application of that kind of washed out filter that they use on on, on the lens. Um, it looks, I just think it looks absolutely spectacular. I take your reference, you know, look, look, on Tatooine, Mos Eisley. It looks absolutely wonderful, but I, I think here they elevate it to a new level. I think they're, they're kind of doing the same thing, but just the application of that washed out filter. It looks alien as fuck, doesn't it? And it just looks magnificent. This is precisely my point. Yeah. They they aim for and they capture the same sense. Of, they they allow the influence to filter into the bedrock of the thing mm. they're making. Mm. Um, it's there as an underpinning. It's there to give depth to the production instead of crasser productions who use that stuff as a surface gloss. Mm-hmm. So it's 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 inserted underneath. It's in the foundations. You can't even see it. But it provides the foundations instead of um, being daubed all over the surface or painted on. Does does that make sense? It makes total sense. And what it did to me as I was watching the episode, once they're on that planet, desolation it's called, isn't it? Which is just a great, yeah. I mean, pretty obvious word, I suppose, but just a great name for a planet. Um, it, It instantly conveyed the idea of jeopardy and threat you know this is hostility and it's also a great like um and fanboys love to speculate about things like this Mm -hmm. um doctor who fans love the classic series um we love it in spite of its faults and in many cases in the case of people like me we love it because of its faults yeah but when the beer starts flowing you can't help you, you can't help but get around to the conversation about oh man can you imagine how uh, awesome planet of the daleks would have been if they'd had the money for a really good jungle set yeah um can you imagine how awesome um the tomb of the cybermen would have been if they had well okay this so this has just occurred to me this setting is what everyone dreamed that their dream version of the tomb of, tomb of the Cybermen would look like. Sure. Absolutely correct. Yeah. Um, and but it's it's one of those things. And when the beer stops flowing and you have to go home at the end of the night, you end up sighing and you you put your glass down on the table a little heavily and you go, "But it will never happen." Yeah. And that's it happening. And it was immensely satisfying to me yeah. to watch it. Absolutely brilliant. I'm, I'm glad you agree, agree with that, Doc. Yeah, I can tell you where it was where it was filmed. And, and any ideas? Um, absolutely none. No. Uh huh. I didn't know. 
I was racking my brain, but you know, I just kind of went on on the Wikipedia page. South Africa. There you go. How about that, Doc? There we go. So you know, Doctor Who has now reached a level of of, of budget that you know that they can sh fly out the whole production to South Africa just just for these marvelous ex exterior shots. Isn't it wonderful? That that might be a less egregious use of money than you think. I mean, um, you might automatically think that Algeria would be closer and therefore cheaper. But if you're filming in in in, in Algeria, you've got to take all your stuff with you. Mm. You've got local fixes to pay off. Um, your insurance bills will be through the roof because it's a genuinely dangerous place. Sure. I expect you can take the people you need um, and fly them to probably Durban or Cape Town. Um, and then you're probably only a good few hours drive um, into some proper desertified area. And you can hire local. Um, you can get all the facilities you need. Yeah, but, but, but Doc... They could have saved all that money and just filmed it at Breen Downs. Come on, let's get real. Once again, when you're pitching to an international audience... That's my point. Um, That's my point. I was, I, was, I was being vaguely ironic there, Doc. Um, I knew you were being vaguely ironic, but I think it's a really interesting point. Mm. Um, when you're wanting to... Um, when you're wanting to sell to the large and ever-increasing media market on the continent of Africa... Mm -hmm. Because um, people in Africa have televisions nowadays, you know. Really? Yeah. Wow. Um, so, uh, I mean, when, when you're attempting to sell into that market, it doesn't do your sales department any harm at all to be able to put, like, a little chapter in the sales brochure about, and we have invested in... Sure. Um, so, it's it probably was expensive. It probably was a loss leader. But I bet you the accountants are probably correctly counting on getting every penny of that investment back. You know, the, you know, the bean counters count their beans for a reason, don't they? Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, uh -huh. I think they will make more sales and make more money and by eroding the hostility of someone who is going to go, why should we buy this television program whose producers clearly don't give a shit about Africa and yeah. have never been here and never spent any money here? Sure, sure. Doc, I feel like making an executive decision. Are you ready to ride with this? Yes. Now, normally, you know, we'll do like a part two and a part three, but I think we should just kind of just keep going at this point. It, it, it feels like a bit of a different episode, you know. You know, your kind of revelation, your heartfelt speech at the start. I think we just keep going, Doc. You know, and and, and just keep this as one part. And who gives a shit? Um, plus, there's also the fact that this is we're one hour of an hour and a half in. Um, so effectively, in the classic series, we'd be in episode four already. Yeah. Um, we should be getting, and we would typically be beginning to draw all the plot threads together <laughs> now. Um, and we're doing that. So effectively, what we've ended up doing, we've ended up having a slight, we had a normal episode one. It's episodes two and three that have been different. And now I think we're on a fairly conventional episode four. I really need a wee. Hang on, mate. I'll go for a wee too. Go on, mate.
Doc, I've, I've given you two or three positives. Can, can I hit with a couple of negatives and, and, and see what you make of this? Go on. Um, Jody waving the sonic screwdriver around like a fucking magic wand that, that, that seems to be capable of, you know, basically whatever the script requires. Whatever the script requires. What do we make of that? Um, this has been coming up for a long time. Um, so and what I'm trying to do, this is part of new me. I'm trying to put this in cultural context. We are now well into the age of superheroes in popular mm -hmm. culture, aren't we? Yeah. Um, along with video games, superheroes are what popular culture is in the last decade. Mm -hmm. If you like... Um, just as during our favourite bit of Doctor Who, season 17-ish, um, what popular culture was was Star Wars. Sure. What, what popular culture is now is video games and Marvel films. Mm -hmm. um, I don't see Doctor Who taking on many tips from um, Grime or Trap. Um, I think those parts of popular culture are probably not going to be assimilated into the DNA of Doctor Who anytime soon. I think you may be in for a bit of a shock, Doc, in about two Jody episode, episodes time. Well, let's hope so. Yeah, fingers crossed. Um, yeah, let's really hope so. Mm -hmm. uh, and probably we shouldn't be surprised that the, do the Doctor is now kind of a superhero who has superpowers um, and who has a magical artefact Um that can fix a lot of plot points. Mm. I there's no way of getting around it. I don't like it. Um, no. I, I I don't want to use words as mock emotive as betrayal of the show's core concepts because, as we've discussed many times, the show doesn't have that the show doesn't have and never had any core concepts, except right at the beginning. Um, a an inherited Rethian concept of to educate and entertain, and since then the writers and the, uh, you know and 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 the the, the, um, the the what were they called at the time script editors were yes you know they they were pulling it out of their asses weren't they you know just to kind of maintain momentum in some way they were pulling out of their asses there was no concept of continuity there was never um, like a a writer's guide or an arc or anything like that. I think they call um, it a Bible in American TV, don't they? Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah, I think that's true. Yeah, the, 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 the show Bible. Oh, Jesus Christ. Mm. <laughs> Quite literally. Um, I, I, <laughs> <laughs> I, I, I didn't no, expect I, such a reaction, Doc. Go on. <laughs> um, you're capable of saying things which, though true, can catch me completely off balance. Um... No, um, mm. the thing you're talking about is a manual, is, is, is a user's manual about how to mm. make it. Um, it is not a book of profound spiritual wisdom d describing the lives of the prophets. You tell that to Joss Whedon, Doc. <laughs> you just fucking dare. <laughs> um, for God's sake. Uh, right, you've, you've completely thrown me now. I, I've, I've got to like, take 10 seconds to get back on track. Take your breath. Come on. And even during our favourite eras, um, for instance, if you can explain to me what the Doctor does at the end of the pirate planet, mm -hmm. um, other than by reference to superpowers, yeah, um, sure. uh, 
that's the one that sprang to mind. There's, there's, there's a whole bunch of old Doctor Who stories where um, and it, a lot of the time it's Terence Dix does his best to dress it up in a bit of scientific flummery. But effectively, um, the Doctor has a superpower or the Doctor has a magical artefact. I think we see another example of that in this story as well, when the Doctor can kind of mysteriously read that message that the scientist left in some kind of weird alien language and she can read it. But it's never explained how she can read it. So again, it's just this kind of superpower, isn't it? Yeah, um, I think what... Uh, it, it, it just, oh, sorry, Doc. It, all, that, all that required to negate that was a, just some throwaway, just a throwaway line, you know. Oh, you, you know, I spent a year on blah, blah, blah planet. And then bang, that's explained, isn't it? Yeah, um, I'm not going to dwell on this, but this is the second episode in a row where... Um, we've had sneering comments about what should we say that the lower achieving aspects of further education. Sure. Don't like I I I don't like the nasty snide comments about MVQs at all. Um, that's not what I'm, what I'm all about here. Felt the need mm -hmm. to mention it. Don't feel the need to mention it anymore. Go back to what you said. This is what I mean about a betrayal of the key uh, of, of, of the core concepts. Um, long ago. Let's say John Pertwee um, would have come across some alien runes. Um, <laughs> great on, word. Runes. Um, <laughs> great, yeah. On an alien pyramid um, covered by some plastic ivy mm. um, and lit really, really brightly. Mm. Um, and um, he would have read them out. And Joe would have said, but Doctor, how do you know that? And the doctor would have said, um, ah, um, I was taught those by the great rune master, Nkwahun. That's it. And it's done, isn't it? It's done. It's done. And more to the point, um, it reminds us that um, knowledge is something it's, it, it, it's possible to acquire by yourself for yourself. Mm -hmm. And that is very, very important for me. Um, so, sure, the doctor can do stuff that you can't do, but... If you were able to study with the great rune master Rune Kwahun, <laughs> absolutely, yeah, then you could do that too. Mm. In this, in in the modern iteration of Doctor Who, we have stuff that the Doctor can just do. But, but, but I, I disagree slightly there, Doc. It's not just the modern iteration. It started with the with with, with the McCoy Cotma era, didn't it? And and it just kind yeah. of carried over. Um, I, I mean, this was. But you see, in those days, I'm not saying it was recognised to be a mistake. There are many people who didn't think it was a mistake, but it was of dubious enough integrity for it to be the subject of debate. Mm -hmm. um, and many people, <laughs> many people speculated that there was in existence this thing that people called the Cartmel Master Plan, which was going to reveal that the Doctor was effectively the founder of Time Lord culture. And basically, um, Time Lord Abraham. Since the Cartmel Master Plan never came to fruition on television, and since then, Andrew Cartmel has personally denied the thing that, that, that such a thing ever existed. Yeah. Um, he wouldn't have any reason to deny that it existed if it did. Um, I'm not personally invested in the stupid thing to go about tracking down what evidence there was, if any. Um, all I can say for sure is that fans believe that there was and this this wasn't a conspiracy this didn't like there was no fanzine that named it the Cartman master plan 
my friends and I speculated it amongst ourselves with no outside influences. And we said, well, there's, there's, there's clearly an Andrew Cartmel master plan here. Um, it's all clearly leading up to a great big revelation about who the doctor really is. And I bet you he's going to turn out to be the, like the, the greatest of the time Lords or best friends with Russell and Ermagor. And mm -hmm. it seems so obvious. And it was, it wasn't surprising to us that other people had speculated on that too. What surprised us was that um, independently of each other, many, many little groups of fans, AKA mates, mm -hmm who'd like to talk about Doctor Who, had come to this conclusion and had also named it the Cardinal Master Plan. Mm, mm. Um, I heard an interview with him um, maybe a year or so ago, and he was laughing about it, you know, and, and saying, no, we, we had ideas for season 27, but, the, but there was no kind of grand grand plan at work. You know, we, we, we had to kind of, you know, progressive storylines that, 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 that would have like leaked into season 20 and then hopefully into season 28. But it's, but it's not like we, you know, we, we kind of had the whole arc mapped in our minds. Um, it, 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 kind of an early example of that, of that mystery box writing that, 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 that we've been talking about, I suppose. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, um, Andrew Cartmel, um, I won't say he never made any secret. Not only did he not make any secret, he loudly boasted about what an admirer of Alan Moore and um, specifically Alan Moore mm -hmm. and, um, and Neil Gaiman <clears throat> um, he was. Um, and it's completely fit. It, it, it's completely congruent with the styles and the sensibilities of those people that there'd be a huge master plan um, and you know, then a revelation, then an undercutting revelation, then a final revelation that wasn't a final revelation. Um, so I, I'm not saying I disbelieve him. Um, I think there was a, I, I think there was and there still is a bit of myth building going on from Andrew Cartmel about himself. And there's nothing wrong with that. It's mm -hmm. absolutely the kind of thing, it, it's absolutely the kind of thing that writers should do, I think. Sure, of course. And, you know, if you admire Alan Moore and if you admire Neil Gaiman the way that he did, then in the end, you're, you're going to want your Sandman. You're going to want your uh, Swamp Thing. Mm -hmm. uh, you're going to want your Killing Joke, aren't you? Well, the Killing Joke isn't a particularly big... It's very influential and it's very mm -hmm. important, but it isn't a particularly big work. Sure. Um, so, yeah, you're going to want to do that. You're going to want to have your... Um, I always think of that as like the the batman punk rock song it, mm -hmm. it, it's it's not very it, it's 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 short um but it knocks over everything that came before it's three minutes of intense insanity that, that, that yes. just kind of punches everybody else out of the park yeah and then after that nothing is remotely the same ever again yeah so yeah andrew Cartman would have wanted to do that and i think remembrance of the daleks is his attempt to, is a really like early attempt by him to do that mm. mm -hmm. uh, to rewrite the rules and undercut everything that you thought you knew and then throw in some things some the beginning of some threads that he's planning on collecting later on now there is a reference in this story that we, you know that, 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 that we are ostensibly talking about tonight thank you sir that, that, that is very very similar did you spot it doc if you didn't i won't say it if you did then fair enough um Right. There, there was a moment of there was a moment of portentousness that so because I'm coming to these in a very weird order and there's a ton of like 
Peter Capaldi material, for instance, all of it, I presume leading up to this, there was a portentous moment where, like, someone asked the doctor, haven't you heard of it? These are some of the bits that I feel like I need to start picking up on. Um, the last episode we reviewed, I got pretty upset um, about the fact that what looked to me to be a scene of emotional inequality, where the Doctor, who's wise and ancient, dumps this enormous emotional load on Clara, who is young and naive, and says, mm -hmm. am I a good man? And your sure. reply to me, um, which is a perfectly good reply, and you led me in the direction of asking the question, well, did he ask her that question because maybe he thinks she knows? Mm -hmm. Yep. Um, and, okay, fine. That was a moment of real climb down for me. That was when I realised that these are parts of the narrative that maybe I need to try to see beyond. Maybe what I find when I see beyond them won't even be worth the effort. But I don't know, I need to try. So th there, was, there was this moment of portention. I, I, I can't actually remember what it was they were referring to, but the other person says to the doctor, like, oh, you haven't heard of that, or haven't you heard of that? Yes, well, do, 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 do you want me to repeat it? Yes, please. It, 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 the timeless child is, 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 was the expression that was used. Right. Now, um, I didn't catch that when I watched the episode, which I presume was a bit of a fumble on my part. I assume that's like attempting to gather some mass from the spin-off Harry Potter play that I think was probably about uh, about that time. Oh, I don't know what that is. I don't know. Uh, I literally don't know what you're talking about. It's the, there's 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 a um, a continuation or um, spin-off. The script is a very closely guarded secret. I don't know anything about it. Um, but when I had to be in Tottenham Court Road a few times a few years ago. Um, there were posters for it, everyone. It, it's, it's called Harry Potter and the Cursed Child. Okay, fair enough. Oh, so maybe, it's, maybe it's a riff on that in some way. Well, it, it's it's what I call gathering masks. Mm -hmm. It's not a reference. It, it's it's not a reference to it or a riff on it. But if there's something in popular culture, um, when Beyonce released her Lemonade album, which was obviously one of the pop cultural events in the in, of, of, of the year. A much lesser cultural figure released an album called Soda. Mm -hmm. um, I always think of it as um, like rolling a ball of sticky tape around the carpet fluff of something really important. Is, it, is this a bit like James Cameron directing Piranha two years after Steven Spielberg pumped out Jaws? Yes, very yeah. much like that. There we go. We got it. Um, Doc, what did you think? About the 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 Tardis set. No, I, I don't know how bothered or interested you are in like, like, like the set dressing of Doctor Who. Well, it's, not you make it? it's not somewhere you'd want to live, is it? Sure. Mm -hmm. I mean, it, it's not. It's no one's idea of home. Mm -hmm. um, it's um, it's like one. It doesn't look anything like it, but it reminds you of one of those beautiful, beautifully aesthetically gorgeous apartments that you find in expensive coffee table books about uh, about architecture mm -hmm. um, that are very, very clearly not made for human beings to live in. Um, they look unbelievable, but they're, what they actually are is the atria to museums. They just don't have a museum attached to the back of them. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and that's what this is. It, it looks really, it looks really cool. Yeah. It looks like really, really cool. Um, but, I mean, 
the idea of it being anyone's home. Mm-hmm. Um, how about you? Well, the, the, I agree with you. I, I think it looks sensational, utterly impractical. Um, you know, the, 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 I don't know. The, the, it, it's dark. It's foreboding. Um, there doesn't seem to be anywhere particularly to, to relax, you know, to chill out. I don't know. No, you're quite right. And talking of the TARDIS, Doc, did you guess that the Ghost Monument was the TARDIS or not? Um, I, since we've watched a couple of Peter Cabaldi episodes now, I have unfortunately become aware of something which I think is a thing, which is that the television programme Doctor Who is going to increasingly become to be about the character Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And I'm just sort of getting used to the idea that actually it goes back earlier than that. Um, what I thought was a stupendous, like at the time I thought it was a stupendous piece of vanity. I don't even think I've seen the quarter of it yet. When that fucking piece of shit of a Matt Smith episode, um, where it turned out that the doctor's pontificating about animal cruelty. Um, the agony of the space whale was merely a microcosm and a metaphor for the agony of the doctor. And actually, it was all about the doctor all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, hated that. Really hated it. Um, I didn't guess that the ghost monolith was going to turn out to be the TARDIS. When it happened, I wasn't surprised, and I had to suppress grow. Okay, fair enough. So, 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 so it wasn't a. It was a revelation, but, 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 but not a good one. Um, it was an unwelcome one, and the, what's problematicized for me now is that every single episode going into, I'm, I'm going into, I'm going to be on the lookout for um, what is there in this episode that's going to turn out to be something intimately connected with the Doctor. Mm. What did you make of the direction, Doc? Because there was one particular moment of direction. I like Mark Tonderoy. I've already, you know, I've already made my case there. I think he's a great director. There was one particular moment that I thought was absolutely fucking awesome. Did you spot it, Doc, or not? Um, I was gawking at the landscape most of the time. Mm-hmm. I, I, I mean, uh, any time the landscape, yeah. Um, which bit are you talking about? There's a wonderful moment. You've got the, you've got the sequence where it becomes apparent that they've got to climb the ladder to get up into this kind of a, this area with kind of the gas above it. And yeah. Graham, you know, Graham, and, and I really admire Graham's bravery, actually, because he seems very on the ball. So the doctor kind of gives him an instruction and says, you know, we, we, we've got to get up there. And he's kind of gung-ho, isn't he, straight up the ladder. And Ryan is very kind of reticent and obviously quite scared, you know, because he's got this, what's it called, like, um, not body dysmorphia, um, What's the term, Doc? You know, dyspraxia. He's, he's, he's kind of dyspraxic, isn't he? You know, so he doesn't like climbing ladders. And he had that sequence. And then the, it cuts and we get to them where they've emerged, you know, from, from the ladder and they're suddenly in this new place. And that moment of direction, oh, Doc, it, it literally made my jaw drop. It kind of starts off maybe 100 metres away from the, from the group. And the camera just swoops in and it's swinging left and right. And it, it, you've just, just got this kind of glorious kind of angle of Jody and the group just from underneath, just kind of, a, you know, like a, a slight under angle of the whole group. I thought it was breathtaking. I've never seen the like of it on TV. 
I, I'm really trying not to sound jaded now. I am. Right, it's all I'm, about opinions. So, um, sorry? It's all about opinions. It's all right. Yeah. Um, yeah. Now that you've recommended it, I'll go back and look at it. But I almost start eye-rolling when I can see the awesome jaw-dropping piece of cap. Um, because in modern television, all of the stuff gets telegraphed from such... Um, Maybe the director was getting a bit meta here, mm -hmm. uh, because obviously the the shot is 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 literally telegraphed from a long way away. Yeah, <laughs> very good. Yeah, <laughs> but, brilliant. Um, you you all, it's going to get to the bit soon where it's going to get to the stage soon where we're going to have like a, a, a little orange subtitle flasher. Um, pay attention, awesome direction coming up. Mm -hmm. Um, and but, the result of which is that I probably missed some really good bits. But, but why is that a bad thing, Doc? You say that like it's a negative thing. Why, why, why don't you want to see awesome direction? Um, I don't want it for the same reason I don't like listening to the guitar solos in hair metal songs. Mm. <laughs> uh, <laughs> She's my cherry pie. That kind of stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> it's 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 such it's such grandstanding. Mm -hmm. um, it's my moment in the spotlight, mm -hmm. um, and it's it's not the awesome direction. Of course, I want to see awesome direction. Um, I don't want to be led by the nose and have it pointed out to me and go and. Um, I think this goes back to the. Th the third Lord of the Rings film. That was the first time I spotted this happening. Mm -hmm. And the music, and there's always a bit of slow motion before the moment of awesome direction. Um, and they do the exact same thing with two or three characters turning and looking in awe. And you're not supposed to be in awe, you the viewer are not supposed to be in awe of the thing that they're in awe of. You're supposed to be in awe of the piece of direction or the special effect mm -hmm. that is about to be paraded in front of you. Uh, that was the first time I saw that kind of thing happening, and it's it, it apparently wasn't regarded as um, a, a, a borderline unforgivable piece of vanity on the part of the director. <laughs> uh, and, and and everything does it now, even the telly. Mm -hmm. The most egregious example of it I've ever seen um, is in... I want to say this is a film by uh, Gaspar Noé, but it, it, it isn't. It's someone else in the um, the new wave of Belgian extremity. Mm. Um, it's um, at the end of Calvert, um, which up until that point has been a tiny, intimate little film um, <clears throat> from which all of its claustrophobia and all of its intensity derives. And close to the end, there's a bit where the director pulls a directorial trick out of his ass, And because it's such a... It's a great one. It's a fantastic one. But because it's such a directorial trick, it just goes, whack, you're watching a film. You're watching, like, um, everything you found disturbing for the last 80 minutes about the really uncomfortable, creepy intimacy between these two characters. Don't worry about that. You're watching a film. Mm -hmm. I I think me and you fundamentally disagree on this because I thoroughly enjoy those kind of moments. You know, I did 
choosing a moment just to be extravagant and to pull out all the stops and 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 you know all the tricks in, 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 you know in 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 his or her back pocket i just don't blame them you know i think if i if i were in their position you guys wrote it you guys are acting it you're going to get all the plaudits i'm just going to have my fucking moment here right now i don't blame but, them mate. But I know your personality. I think you, I, I think you'd just do it. Mm. I think you would. I think you would just do the awesomeness. Mm. I don't think you would flag it from a long way away and pretty much go awesome part coming up. Everyone oh, so gather it's, around. Gather. It's the telegraphing that's the problem. It's absolutely. It, it, it's it's not the awesome direction. It's not even the showboating. Yeah. Um, I mean, um, and I know we're talking about quality worlds apart here, but and. You can never suppress a giggle when I say this, but I, I say it with an absolutely straight face. Jess Franco is one of my favourite directors. <laughs> and, yeah. and he's, he's nothing but showboating. Mm. Uh, if there's some breasts, he will leer at them. Mm. If someone gives him a zoom lens, he will wind the zoom lens in and out as many times as he can. <laughs> um, and it, it, it's, it's, it's nothing but cheap, tawdry showboating, and I love it to bits. Yeah. When it's done by people who really can direct... Mm. And when they're directing people who really can operate a movie camera, then I love it as much as anybody else does. Um, but that's kind of my point, Doc. You know, the, this is directed by Mark Ponderoy. I think he really can direct it. And then he just has this little moment. It's his guitar. You're right. It's his guitar solo. And I fucking loved it, Doc. I love it. Um, and I, I'm evidently not explaining this very well. What I don't like... Um, is all of the stuff around it telling me that I should pay attention because... Fair enough. Yeah. What, what's this? It's this bit. It's this bit. This is awesome. This bit's awesome. Yeah. And it, it's like, it's the equivalent of someone who gets in your car and knowing that you're going to have your hands full driving, um, bogards your stereo and plays their favourite song after their favourite, and won't stop fucking prattling about, this bit's awesome, this bit's great, listen to this bit. No, listen to this bit, stop talking and listen to... Mm. It's, it's the equivalent of that, and that's what gets on my nerves. Sure. And it really, really undercuts the, the direction for me. I think I think we need to kind of start to draw this to some kind of conclusion at some point. Um, yeah. I just briefly would... You know, a bit late in the day, I suppose, but let's just ground it in reality. Broadcast date for this episode was the 14th of October 2018. Um, US film releases of note, um, First Man. Are you sure? Yeah. Be an adventure. First man to walk on the moon. That'd be something. We've chosen a job so difficult, requiring so many technological developments. We're going to have to start from scratch. That's the moon landing biopic, which is meant to be great. I haven't watched it. Because it's two hours and 45 minutes long, apparently. <laughs> Fuck off. Um, Halloween remake again. I've waited for him. Testing one, two, three. Yeah. We're on. 
We're here to investigate a patient that killed three innocent teenagers on Halloween in 1978. He was shot by his own psychiatrist and taken into custody that night. And has spent the last 40 years in captivity. Hello, Michael. I have something you might like to see. <laughs> I haven't seen this one either, but again, again, it's been really, really well received. Um, but you know, tell is this a story Halloween goes. remake? Like, like after not not the Rob Zombie Halloween, remake. not the Rob no. Zombie one. This is a Halloween remake that involves, would you believe? Seth Rogen of all people, I think. Oh, uh, but apparently, apparently, it's really, really good. Um, but, but I'm so bored of that story being kind of rehashed. Um, UK number ones, um, just one, of course, uh, during the modern era of Who, because they, they, they're pretty much one-off episodes. Calvin Harris and Sam Smith. Are you drunk enough? Now to judge what I'm doing. Are you high enough to excuse that I'm ruined? Cause I'm ruined. Is it late enough for you to come and stay over? Cause we're free to love. Stop teasing me. Um, with a song called Promises. It was at number one. For five weeks, Doc. I listened to early, I listened to it earlier today. It's fucking god awful. I've got no idea. <laughs> it's absolutely atrocious. Are, are, you, are you familiar with, with with Sam Smith by any chance? I'm not. No. He's um most famous. Well, for, for two things really. Um, he wrote the 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 the, the Bond theme for Spectre. <laughs> applauded really given the stiff competition he's up against by far and away the worst bond theme that's ever been written um absolutely atrocious um and also you know he's cool because he's 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 non-binary so he's really cool and he likes to call himself they so yeah we've got to take him really really seriously um we've got to take them i'm sorry I, i'm sorry I, I just mispronounced him we've got to take them really really seriously Sam Smith. Um, any last points, Doc, before we sign off? Um, it's going to take me a while um, to get around to how I can understand, appreciate, whatever, um, all of this new stuff. And the way in which I intend to do it is by concentrating as much as I can on the new and the positive 
and stuff I've never seen Doctor Who doing before. And yeah. I'm going to I'm I'm going to see what comes out of that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, I didn't love this. I very no. very far loved it. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got no intention. Um, it would be no. I've got no intention of ever watching it ever again. I'm in a much more positive state of mind with regards to modern Who, actually, because I, I, I've really, really enjoyed the last two episodes. You know, I enjoyed Into the Dalek, and I've enjoyed this one. So, you know, I'm feeling much more positive. I had no memory of Into the Dalek at all, um, and found it just, just, you know, just kind of an exciting... I've got no memory of it now. I just found it an exciting kind of sci-fi adventure romp. This one... The, the the setting and the direction kind of carried it for me. Um, I was like Graham. We haven't really got into the the, 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 the companions, have we? To, to be honest, but maybe we'll get to that. You know, during the next, you know, when when we loop back around to Jody. Um, that doesn't bother me so much because I know we're in the era of arcs now. So I, yeah, like. Because I know about modern media, I know that they'll all get their that they'll, they'll all get their that their, their Aaron, so. You're absolutely correct. You're absolutely uh, correct, Doc. Are we done? Do you think? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> I suppose the great personal victory for me um, is I've managed to finish this cycle not horribly depressed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Good. Good because we've only got another. 26 to go. <laughs> <laughs> so thank God for that, Doc. Um, okay, that about does it for this episode of DDSOS. Join us next time. when We're going to do things a bit differently, aren't we, Doc? We're going to be discussing two stories. We're going to be discussing William Hartnell and Tom Baker's third stories, namely The Edge of Destruction and The Santaran Experiment, respectively. You're going to be there, Doc. I am absolutely going. Well, it was my idea, so damn well hope so. It was your idea. If you're not there, I'll be fucking furious. <laughs> See you next time, Doc. See you later.